Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the amazing Kelly Rickson, founder of Rickson Associates and the new chair of the Institute of Hospitality. Coming up on today's show... Kelly demonstrates that every day brings its own surprises. And as I'm talking, two armed police guys just walk in the back of the room, walk over to one of the guys, tap him on the shoulder, he looks up, stands up and walks back out with them. Phil unconvincingly tries to rescue this statement. I'm always off trying new stuff and all of it legal. And we learn that it really is amazing what you can find in a dumbwaiter. Opening the dumbwaiter one day to find one of the KPs sitting in there in his underpants. All that and a whole lot more as Kelly talks us through her incredible journey so far, which includes an amazing story of overcoming extreme adversity. Kelly talks with such energy and positivity throughout. It really is a story not to be missed. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your networks. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, I'm super excited to welcome to the show the recently elected chair of the Institute of Hospitality and founder of Rickson Associates. That is none other than Kelly Rickson, MBE. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I like the pause before the MBE, just to add some gravitas there. Thank you so I, much. Absolutely. I was trying to accentuate it so that we can <laughs> make it a discussion point, which I'm sure we will. But well, actually, let's just go straight into that. What, what did you get the MBE for? I'm proud to say I, it was for services to hospitality. So, uh, yeah, it, it is um, something that has kind of really kind of made a difference in my life in terms of my uh, pride in my work. It, it, it was a great moment and it, it's, it, it kind of still is great to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And is it true that Prince Charles commented on how nice your dress was? He actually did. And he also told, I mean, his opening line to me was, thank God you're here. It's been incredibly dull so far. So uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was great. I thought it was kind of bringing the party to the palace. Yeah, brilliant. Great stuff. Well, I, we might get into that in a little bit more depth uh, as we as we go on. But how are you anyway? Yeah, I'm really well. Thank you for asking. In, a, uh, in locked up Liverpool at the moment. Uh, with the world going mad around us, but uh, thankfully all well and uh, yeah, fighting through it. Yeah, which tier are you in? We we are the only one in tier three at the moment. So oh, I mean, okay. I, 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 being a really competitive person, I, I like to be you know the best I possibly can. So if there's a worst category, that's best. That's what we're in. So that's yeah. <laughs> still somehow I'm taking some sort of sense of achievement in being in the worst group, but uh, we're doing our best. <laughs> There's always um, little moments of positivity in the face of adversity, isn't there? Or, or I certainly look for humour at times of adversity. Yesterday, I saw a, a post somewhere which I did share because I, it just it caught it gave me an LOL moment, which was how people are starting emails now, which was something like, "Hi Phil, I hope you're staying positive and testing negative." <laughs> See, there you go. I mean, and humour in Liverpool, it's literally bread and butter. It's yeah. um, Humour plays such an important part in, in my life. I think it's such a critical kind of thing to use in, in both kind of my daily life, but just in the people I like to surround myself with. Yeah, it, there's no, no way around a really good laugh. 
Yeah, I I just think it's one of the greatest tonics for life. Really, it's uh, there's there's a science behind it, isn't there? About you know what it releases within you in terms of stress relief and positive chemicals, whatever they're called. Can't remember. The endorphins. That's the one. That's the yeah. one. Yeah. I, I look, there's just there's so much good. I mean, I was talking about this the other day. I uh, somebody uh, posted, you know, the old sketch, the Morecambe and Wise breakfast sketch. Yeah. Somebody posted it and it literally stands up today. I just found myself giggling away to it with the oranges and, and the grapefruits kind of. It was just such a fun kind of a, a thing to watch over and over again. But yeah, no, yeah. lots of things make me laugh and, and lots of people make me laugh. And it's it's definitely part of my life. It's a really important part of my life. Yeah, I'm not going to get too political, but uh, this government is currently making me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that there. Well, I think you're going to laugh or you're going to cry at the moment. And I, I think yeah. uh, in any situation, we do look for humour. And I think we have to find the humour in it because, uh, you know, you can't always change what's in front of you, but certainly you change your approach. No, indeed. I couldn't agree more. Great. OK, well, uh, take us all the way back to the very beginning. And <laughs> I uh, I was going to say, obviously not birth, but... Um, uh, and yeah, talk us through your your life and journey so far. Well, um, I, you know, I could go back to birth because uh, you know I was born in the house that my mum and dad still live in. So, uh, council, uh, yeah, council estate in Liverpool, and they still live in the same house today. So, I, I think what you'd call it now is probably an area of regeneration. Is probably the uh, uh, kind of ah, the yes. politically acceptable phrase. But yeah, yeah, council estate was when I was I was there and growing up. But yet, you know, really a happy kind of life growing up in terms of, of, you know, we didn't have much, but I'm I'm one of five children. So lots of uh, people around me, there was always kind of quite a social circle and, and friends. But, you know, we, we talk about humour growing up with, with four brothers and sisters. There's definitely banter and uh, yeah, there's definitely fun in there too. Um, where, where were you in the pecking order? So I was the baby until my baby sister turned up about eight years later. I never really forgave her for it, if I'm honest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, she's she came along and I, I didn't don't think I really kind of warmed up to her for a couple of years. And, and you know, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, she wasn't the prettiest baby and she turned into the most beautiful <laughs> woman. So I, I thought I was OK because she was going to grow up and she wasn't going to be beautiful. And she turned beautiful. So, no, I have a, I have two sisters. One's incredibly beautiful. And one's incredibly glamorous, and uh, and uh, my mum suggests that one is you know beautiful, one's glamorous, and, and I'm the clever one, which is just <laughs> damning <laughs> thanks, faint praise. Thanks, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then uh, it's not good, is it really? So you can always rely on uh, on mums for a bit of cold hard honesty. <laughs> it's it's fair, you know. If if you know you want to know about being kind of smart or stylish or or glamorous, you go to the other two. But if you want somebody to ring the council and complain about your bins being emptied, <laughs> I'm your man. Uh, so, no. And then I've got two brothers as well. So yeah, it's a, it was a fun house. It was uh, it was definitely noisy. It definitely made you a bit competitive to fight for your space and. Uh, I'm still incredibly close to my family, so yeah, it's really important to me. Yeah, got you. So that was that was your your childhood. Yeah. In one and a half minutes. <laughs> Obviously, that is important, but it's not important today. Let's um, let's move to. Oh well, let's just carry on. Actually, how was how was your schooling? Yeah, I love school. I was in a strange situation. It, it, looking back, it wasn't the best school in the world. 
but I really enjoyed it. And um, I found drama quite early on. So loved kind of getting involved in, in school productions and things like that. Um, okay, so it wasn't that you you sought out drama, <laughs> as in I need drama in my life. I need to call the council again about well, those bloody bins. It does stand you in good stead for being able to debate and, and being confident enough to hold your, your own in, in an yeah. argument. So, no, I, I loved it. I, you know, loved drama. I was quite academically minded, so was was comfortable in school really enjoyed my time yeah my dad was a milkman so I had a, I used to go around on the milk round with him before school and collecting at night and yeah we all worked hard so it, it was a good balance between you know a great fun family life and 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 a really firm work ethic quite early on yeah. so yeah we all had to earn our way yeah well but that's a good life lesson to learn early isn't it yeah yeah definitely I didn't, you know, I didn't see any difference in, in working at 14. You know, my first kind of, my first step into hospitality was working in a pub at 14. Right. I, I, you know, I could lie and say I was glass collecting or, or waiting on, but I was actually behind the bar. Um, so Terrible. At, at 14 in some rave club in Liverpool. So I, I, I earned my stripes early doors, I would suggest. You know, I, I've, I've pretty much done virtually every role in hospitality I would suggest uh, right. and I definitely didn't start at the top but no I, it was you know I worked in in bars and restaurants whilst at school you know paid my contribution in, in terms of uh, into the house and things like that so yeah worked hard and, and knew it was probably going to be part of my life forever. So you had that immediate affinity with it? Yeah, you know, it's it's a place where, you know, especially when you, you're young, you, it was fun. There was great money. And if you were good at it, it was lucrative. You know, you could make great tips. You made a, a decent salary, but you could transfer the skills as well. So if there was a new bar opening up and it was shiny and new and you had experience. It was valuable. There was, there, there was a value to it. So, yeah. no, it was... Um, a, I didn't, I, I wasn't fed this idea that hospitality is some sort of second choice. My family have always been hugely supportive of what I do in that respect. So and that's yeah. really, really, really critical. You know, the amount of parents that think hospitality is in some way a second choice or, you know, the last choice is just, it's it's a bit bonkers when you look at the opportunity there. Ah, oh, for sure. I, I mean, we talk about this openly on, on this show about, the the fact that it really can take you off in so many different directions and you know there are there's well, millions of ways to get to the top in this industry yeah and the journey's fun too yeah. you know i think i think we forget that whilst we're working it's hard work you know it's big commitment it's long hours invariably it's not always great jobs but there's, you know, we come back to that idea of fun. Fun's really important. And in hospitality, um, you know, we have more than our fair share of fun. And there's, there's those stories that you, even today, reflect back on and you still giggle to yourself the stuff you got up to when uh, you were young and foolish. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm sure we'll, we might come back to that. All <laughs> <laughs> of the names may be changed, Phil, just so you yeah. know. <laughs> to protect yeah. the innocent absolutely great stuff okay so started life in bars yeah and uh, how did you how did you then progress 
Well, I went, after school, I went to drama school. So I, I was working my way through college, if you like, but it was a drama school. So um, I got a scholarship to go, which was really funny. In in the time in, in Liverpool, they didn't really, or they weren't supporting the arts. And I was desperate to go to drama school. Uh, but the only drama school in Liverpool was a private school with school fees and things like that. And obviously coming from the kind of background I did, we couldn't afford to pay them. And then somebody told me that the council give grants out, you know, for education and, and they'll pay your school fees. So I went and applied for a grant or I went to apply for a grant at the council building right. uh, where I was, I was promptly told that they're not supporting the arts at that time, but it was, um, uh, it was IT and engineering uh, that they were supporting. And, and I was like, no, I, I want to go to drama school. And this went on for some time. So I just kept asking and they kept telling me no. But, uh, you know, even at that age, I kind of felt no is just a starting point for negotiation, really. Right. So I kept going back, kept going back. And I think eventually to pacify me, they they set up, uh, I'm going to use the term audition really loosely. Uh, <laughs> audition for a grant, because as it transpired, they didn't really have anyone looking at the arts at the time. So my audition took place in a school on a Saturday morning with two town planners in really ill-fitting okay. suits. <laughs> Who sat very geared and know what they're talking about. Yeah, so they, the two of them, they clearly upset somebody or there was some sort of penance. They've been, you know, their <laughs> overtime this week was to sit in uh, some school and, and watch some crazy teenager jump about and do a soliloquy from Lysistrata, and then do a dance number. It must, looking back, it must have been bonkers. Uh, <laughs> but bless them, they must have had some sway because somehow uh, I managed to get the scholarship and 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 my school fees were paid to go to drama school for for, for two years. So, right. uh, uh, you know, again, just I, I'll have a go. I'll we'll, we'll make it happen, make it work. So. I love drama school, thought it was brilliant. Got a, an opportunity to go to work for Bourne Leisure British Holidays in a summer job. And my intention was just to go away and do the summer season in the entertainments team and yep. being a red coat, basically. And I went away to do, I think it was a 12-week season and I uh, never came back home again. So right. uh, that's when my love of hospitality really took off. So holiday parks is where it really started for me. Do you know... I, same for me. I started as a bartender in uh, Haggerston Castle Holiday Park. There you in, go, same company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely not. So actually, you uh, mentioned tips. I remember I didn't stay there very long because I, I had lofty ideas about traveling the world and uh, I got a job on a cruise ship in the end and that was me off. But the in the short time that I was there, they did, they kind of promoted me unofficially into the owner's bar, as they called it. Yeah, which was a lot of fun because you were seeing the same people all, all the time. You could build relationships with people. And I remember doing New Year's Eve there one year, would have been probably 1999, I think. And they just, all the owners, just every single round said, have, have one yourself. And I was obviously on duty and I would say, well, I'm on duty. I'm not going to have a drink, but I'll take a pound and I'll have a half after work. I, well, I could have had 250 halves by the, uh, by the end of, of the evening, I my talk about tips that night itself, two hundred and fifty quid in tips, let alone the the salary, which was double time as well. It was a very nice night. 
It's great. And, the, you know, the stories are, are, are fantastic that, you, you know, I look back on my time there. I, I went to Hopton Holiday Village. Right. So Hopton, it was on uh, uh, the East Coast, so, uh, close to Great Yarmouth. And it was just literally almost from the day I arrived. I mean, the journey there, Phil, was hysterical as well. So I just, I'm definitely a have a go kind of girl. So I get this job, I do an audition and I get this job to go and work at Hopton Holiday Village and, and great. When do you want me to start or can you go tomorrow? Yes, absolutely. So I go and I book my um, National Express coach ticket to go to Hopton Holiday Village and I get on and, and to go from Liverpool to Great Yarmouth took 12 and a half hours. Right. Because uh, right. at, yeah, at one point we were like seven miles from London or something. So it literally went everywhere. It, in my youth and naivety, and, and, you know, it was early 90s, I figured the best thing to wear to turn up at my first day was some great white jeans and a white denim jacket. Not really working out that 12 and a half hours on a National Express coach would not really do me a, a great service in, in <laughs> white denim. But I, I wore it anyway. So I, the, the bus pulls up in Great Yarmouth at nine o'clock at night or something. And I'm like, OK, can you just point me in the direction of Hopton Holiday Village? And the guy who's driving the bus just looked at me and went, well, it's about eight miles down the coast. Crikey. So here I am with very little money at night going, right, how do we do it? So he goes to me, I'll, I'll, I'll strike you a deal. If you clean the coach, I'll drop you at Hopton Holiday Village, which is what I promptly did in my white denim suit. So when oh, I, when I arrived at, at the, the, the camp, everyone was kind of excited to welcome me in. And I, I just cleaned a 54-seater National Express coach. <laughs> so, it's, uh, yeah. Still, the guy, still yeah. done. You well, got the, what you needed. The guy said to me, the minute I saw the National Express coach pulling up to reception... I knew you were going to be uh, a handful. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. So, uh, how, how long were you there for? I worked for that company for about five years. So, I ended up being full-time employed. I went to assistant manager, entertainment manager. I looked after the recruitment and training of all the entertainment staff on the South Coast. So I used to do all the choreographing the shows and booking all the acts. So it was a fantastic job. And um, I met my husband there and it was uh, a great time. He uh, was running the bars at the time and he ended up being a general manager and I ended up being head of entertainment for the sites as well. So that was, it was about five years. It was, it was fantastic time. And I look back on it fondly. I really do. Yeah. And so then how did you make the, the jump into full on hospitality? Well, it was really interesting because um, my husband had a pub in uh, his previous role and we had decided that we wanted to get married and settle down and have children. And uh, the challenge of working in holiday parks is at the end of the season, you, you're not moved down the road. You move to the other side of the country and that's if you're successful. So right. we wanted a bit more control over our life. So he'd had a pub. We thought it might be a good idea. Uh, and so we applied to go as a uh, direct entry manager for Tetley Pub Company for a management couple. And uh, we were really lucky. We Our first pub together was a, a half a million pound development of what was the Tavern Table brand. So family dining, high volume, um, that sort of kind of operation. Yep. Uh, and it was quite interesting. So we, we, we moved into our first kind of site 
And he remembered how much he hated it. And I completely fell in love with it. So right. uh, it was quite funny. He, it just reminded him why he did, he'd left it originally. And I was like, why have I never done this before? So um, we kind of quickly established that it, it was going to be predominantly me and he would do some of the kind of background stuff and and kind of not be front of house as much and and I just drank it up so I loved everything about it I loved the front of house I loved working in the kitchen uh, I loved the management of people I loved the the, the, the the customers the guests I loved the interaction so yeah it it quickly became my absolute passion yeah how, how long did you do that for so I run that pub, uh, then we moved to, an, uh, well, I think I ran three or four pubs at that time. So went from one to the other to the other, having my children, my two children uh, as I went. And it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Had a big food operations. You know, I had a country pub at one point. I had, you know, some real high volume stuff. And then I, we were running a hotel. I, I was predominantly running the hotel in Derby and it was the kind of training center for the group uh, it was Tetley Pub Company I think oh it's Marston's at the time right. and um so I was running the training center there and then one day one of the trainers didn't turn up and the conference room was out the back and all the delegates had turned up and I kind of went how hard can it be really she'd left the notes from the day before <laughs> you know yeah I've been to drama school I'll just pretend I'm a trainer and yep. and lit- have a go attitude <laughs> how hard can it be and uh, I opened the notes and and it was employment law and I thought (laughs) okay so I had this bunch of uh, uh, tenanted landlords arrive and all sit down and and you know what I knew about employment law I knew as an operator but I didn't know anything more and and it was quite funny so it was every time I got asked a question I just kind of pushed it back to the group went what is it you think while I thumbed frantically through the notes to try and find the answers yeah. But uh, yeah, again, it, it lit a fuse for me. It was the best part of what I did in hospitality. It was the best part of, of my day job, which was developing my team, developing people, uh, building skills. So I, I kind of was desperate to do that. And uh, I was really lucky. So my my boss at the time offered me the opportunity to come out and be a trainer for the group. And that's right. what I did next. Yeah. Is that Was that you then into the world of training? Yeah, it was it was a, a world of training with a little segue back into operations. So, for as most operators do, if you're good at something, they generally think you're good at everything. <laughs> and if you want something doing, give it to a busy person. Isn't that what they said? So, whilst I was busy doing part of it, I also ended up managing a region for, of pubs as well. So, whilst I was, um, you know, training and writing the programs and being an L and D. Uh, advisor I also had the dual role of an area manager too so uh, it was wow. it, it was good but it was busy and uh, at the time I think there was 50 area managers and just two women myself and one other woman so it right. was quite unusual but it was again helped me hone my commercial skills at that stage it was very much about driving the bottom line, driving the numbers, trying to do it with a way where we could do it in a collaborative way and take the team with us. And and so I brought my L&D background with me into what was a very commercial, very uh, aggressive, very demanding kind of business. But um, yeah, I definitely think that was one of the biggest learning points in my career. Yeah. Okay. And then you, how long were you there for? 
Um, again, probably about five years. So, uh, oh, you're a five year itch kind of person, then, are you? Yeah, well, you've got to keep it interesting, Phil. For me, you've got to keep it interesting. If I'm not yeah. being challenged, if they're, you know, even today, and we'll talk about what, but I, if it stays the same, I'm not your girl. I, I'm your girl for change. I'm the person that you want in place yeah. whilst it's transition. And, and for me, when it becomes managing the day job, uh, that's probably where I'm at my least effective. Time so, to hand over. Absolutely. And and go yeah. and shake the tree somewhere else. And I think once you understand that about yourself, when you get to know yourself in terms of your practice, it's just helpful to know the signs that go, okay, yeah, I, I'm coming to the, the end of my time here. You know, I'm fortunate I've never been fired. So I've, I've clearly saw that before it's, uh, it's coming over the hill. But no, so I... I uh, made a slight segue into retail for a bit. So thought that well, I had transferable skills within training and uh, it clearly was. Hospitality and retail are so closely kind of linked. Yeah. And I went to work for TK Maxx in the UK. So I joined when they had two stores and left when they had 125 stores. Blimey. Yeah, but it was it literally a three-year period. It, it, was, it was just boom in the UK. And it was really great, but I missed hospitality. I desperately missed hospitality. Yeah. It's funny how many people leave and come back. And I think, well, we're, we're probably about to find out just how many leave and come back, aren't we? With uh, everything that's going on in the world at the moment. But that's a different story. It is, but it, it, it does stick with you and it is important. Yeah. People, you know, throughout my career, it's this transitional approach to hospitality. People dip in and dip out and dip in and dip out. And when the realisation comes that actually when they're in it, it's really good. You know, there's some real positive points about it. It's just about remembering, yeah, it's it's hard work. Yeah, the salary isn't always brilliant, but actually there's so much more than that at stake. Yeah. So no, I, I loved it, but I wanted, I was desperate to get back into hospitality and that's when I joined Devia. Okay. Um, Devia yep. Hotels in, in, uh, out of Warrington. Yeah. It was great brand, great business. I loved what I was doing in terms of I was brought on to write all the management development programs and the whole L&D piece. And I did that and it stopped kind of being delivered as much as it should be. And I can understand why. And every day I was being asked to write something else, go and write something else, go and write something else. And I'm thinking I keep writing stuff. We keep producing stuff, but I'm not really seeing it land anywhere. Right. Uh, And then it all became a little clear because we were, in the process of sale and uh, and by all accounts the work that i'd been producing was you know when we looked at the l d offer it was wheeled out I'd look at all these great programs that we do right uh and um i i went through a redundancy process at that stage and, and i walked in and i said to the person making me redundant potentially look i'm going to be the easiest one you're going to do today because i'm sick of just doing stuff that doesn't go anywhere so listen, just shake my hand and, and we can call it quits. Yeah. Uh, to which she just laughed and went, uh, so you're the person that's written this? And I was like, yes, you, you, did you write this? Yes. And it was then I ended up staying on with the business because my job then was to deliver it. Uh, right, so all right, the stuff right. that I've been designing and creating, I got to deliver. And, and I worked with Richard Balfour at that time. And uh, yeah, he, he's he was a very demanding boss and, and uh I learned a lot from him and had a really great time working with him as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a cra- it was a great company to be at. It was a great company. You always do learn from from people who are demanding. I think the um, I mean, obviously, there is a way to be demanding about it. There's no 
sense and just being demanding for the sake of it. But if there's a means to an end, then you know I think the there are a lot of demanding people in in hospitality, but the majority of them are are doing it because because they care deeply about what they do. Yeah, and they get the best out of you. I'd much rather work for you know a, a demanding manager, a demanding boss, because it means that I'm going to be, have to be at my best. So that competitiveness within me is really kind of. It's it's sparked by that sort of approach. Yeah. I don't like people who are mean. I don't like people who are unfair or unjust. But I like people who demand excellence, and it, it's kind of that instilled that in me. Yeah, I want people to bring their A game when I, I work with them. And you know, I, throughout my career, I've worked for some colourful characters, some very demanding uh, managers. Some taught me a lot, and actually, all taught me a lot. Either what I want to take with me or the stuff I definitely don't ever want to use again. So the worst managers taught me probably as much as the good ones, but I don't mind working for the tough people out there. I like it in fact. Yeah. So no, it was, it was great. I loved it and was given real opportunity to kind of grow and develop and be creative and innovative and things like that. And, and it was at the time of Devere with the support of Richard Balfour that I was able to, create Devere Academy of Hospitality. So, right, okay. you know, it, yeah. it was born out of a bottle of wine. Well, as all the best ideas are, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, talk us through that because I I, I know that, that that's, that's something that I think a lot of people, certainly I was aware of the Devere Academy, probably I think it would have been about 2014 was the first time that I heard of it. And you guys were doing... A lot of great work. So talk us through, I think you were involved a, lot, a little bit earlier than that, obviously not involved, setting it up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, talk us through what the objective was behind that. Well, it was a kind of amalgam of two conversations. So, you know, Richard was committed to making sure that we were doing something in terms of developing and, and giving back and, and doing something good. But for me, I, I kind of had an epiphany moment. Uh, I was in Lausanne in Switzerland recruiting graduates, as was our way every year. Yep. And whilst there and I'm looking around the room and they've all got amazing Prada handbags and, and fabulous shoes. <laughs> and, and in my head, I was thinking back to that school on the Saturday morning and me auditioning for a grant. And I kind of had a word with myself that said, hold on a minute. You're out here looking for talent, but talent comes from all different places. You know, talent comes from a council estate in Liverpool. Yeah. And why aren't we looking there? Um, I had a conversation with somebody called Jackie Garner, who was absolutely instrumental in, in the creation of it. She was my L&D manager. And she told me that this was an idea that she'd been working on in terms of trying to get some sort of you know, school pulled together. So the two of us, me saying, let's go find talent and Jackie going, well, this is the practical way of how it could kind of come together. Mm. That was the genesis of the idea. And it, it was, the idea was that we'd go out there and we'd find everyone you spoke to or at the time, everyone you heard talking in hospitality talked about the fact that they either had a tough time in school or it wasn't the route for them or they were on a completely di different path and they weren't looking at hospitality as an option. So going out there and saying to people, do you want to be in hospitality? Everyone was like, no, not really. 
our recruitment was an issue. The talent pipeline was 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 slowing down. The chef situation had become really difficult in the industry. Mm. The lack of talent. So we kind of figured that what we needed to do is go out there and almost plant the seed of hospitality in people, and then tell them how great it was. Right. So that the idea was we'd partner with a college. And the college would pick up the kind of students and manage the kind of pastoral and and we'd be the kind of industry partner. And when we went and pitched to college one and then college two and then college three, that we want to go into what would probably be described as quite challenging areas with challenging people and people that are potentially not what you'd see as a, an ideal student. One by one, the colleges said thanks, but no thanks. Right. This is our curriculum. This is the kind of caliber of student we generally look for. So not for us. So again, the old adage that now is a starting point for negotiation. We kind of went, well, if no one else wants to help us, why don't we just do it ourselves? Yeah. So the, the first school was just two rooms in a Devere hotel. We got two conference rooms that weren't being used. And, and we basically set up a school using our drawing down funding on our MVQ program and we just wanted to do it better than it had been done before. So there was a real sense of getting these young people ready for work, giving them employable skills. Yeah. And yeah, it, you know, the first day of recruitment, I remember them, the local community center or citizens advice center had brought a busload of, of, they described them as NEETs, which I always thought was a derogatory term, not an education, employment or training. I would describe them as colorful characters. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So th this bus turns up with, uh, you know, 20 of these young people. Which one of them cleaned it? Honest to God, none of them, surprisingly. <laughs> but they all turn up and they're all sat there and I'm getting up there doing my spiel about coming working in hospitality and how great it is and how fantastic it is. And as I'm talking, two armed police guys just walk in the back of the room, walk over to one of the guys, tap him on the shoulder. He looks up, stands up and walks back out with them. My God. And you kind of <laughs> look around and go... Oh my God, no one tell the boss this happened. Yeah. <laughs> Please God, don't tell him. But uh, yeah, it was it was high octane in terms of high demand, in terms of support, being there for them. And it worked so beautifully because we could talk to them as employers as opposed to having to be an educational, pure educational partner where we just spoke to them as if we were an employer. And it worked. Yeah. So we had... I think in total, almost 14,000 young people go through the doors at wow. Devere Academy. My word. Yeah. We had 12 schools uh, across the UK and two and a half thousand on program at any given time. Uh, we had a 73% access into work rate as well. So we were basically placing this talent into the industry. We've got a great alumni now. So we've got people all over the world who are graduates of the Academy and Every now and then I'll either see somebody or I'll get an email from somebody that says, I got my start there. And it's just, it's still to this day, gives me the biggest sense of achievement. Yeah, I, well, I'm 14,000 people. That's just incredible. 14,000 people that wouldn't have necessarily had that opportunity, had you know that not been open to them. That's, um, that's to be applauded for sure. It was a great initiative and, and you know, 
Uh, would I have still been doing it today? Uh, yes, probably some version of it. But at that point in my life, my life took a dramatic change. So uh, right. we, yeah, the, uh, my life changed direction completely about 2012. So it, it made for a life altering decision at that point. Right. Are, are you happy to talk about what happened? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. it it's, um, we were involved in, uh, Driving back from my mother-in-law's funeral, my husband stayed behind to lock up the house and, and take care of kind of all the necessary arrangements on that side. And myself and my two sons were driving home and we were involved in uh, a hit and run accident. So right. uh, we, we uh, were ran, we, we run off the road. We went down a bank and we came to a standstill. And for a moment we were safe. And then uh, the absolute horror and realization that we'd actually come to a stop on a, a railway line. Um, My God! Just, just as a yeah, a, a, a thirty-four million pound track lane train was uh, passing, so our car was hit by a train, and uh, Jeez. yeah, it, it it just it devastated our life really. So it changed everything about my life. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my eldest son miraculously walked away without a scratch. And, you know, I had amazingly minor injuries. And my youngest son, Harry, who was asleep in, in the back, he was 12 at the time, sus sustained a traumatic brain injury, just catastrophic brain injuries, uh, injury at that time. So, um, yeah, we were airlifted out to a uh, hospital. Um, we spent, well, he spent four months in a coma in, in uh, intensive care and then began a slow wake. So we, we didn't get out of hospital for about, uh, I think we were in hospital for almost nine months wow. uh, from that night. And, you know, at the time we were told the, the boy you have has gone and, you know, if he survives, uh, we don't expect uh, kind of much um, in terms of, of quality of life moving forward, um, so ventilated, uh, he was peg-fed, the whole factory reset. So he, the expectations were low. Mm. And again, no is a starting point for negotiation, she says, for the third time. Yeah. We don't work with limiting language. Just because people tell you you can't, it doesn't mean to say that's their view, it's not yours. Yeah. Yeah. So everything I'd learned as person up until that point in work and in, in life I just kind of internalized and worked with my boy but he did all the hard work he put all the time and effort in he is literally the strongest bravest person I've ever met and he you know spent many years in a wheelchair but he now is up and walking uh, walking 10k a day wow he does stand-up paddleboarding, he does rock climbing, he is uh, into extreme sports and terrifying his mum, <laughs> mostly, really. Jeez. Anything that makes me terrified, he loves it. So yeah. he's left with challenges, you know, he doesn't, he lost his voice in the accident and, and uh, so, but we make it work and he makes it work and he is joyous and miraculous and amazing and has taught me so much about me and what yeah. I want to do. 
So right. yeah, it changed. It changed our life. It changed everything about who we are. And he's our boy still. You know, the just the trajectory of his life is in a different direction. He's no less. We're no less ambitious for our son. We're no less proud of our son. We're no less, you know, love our son. It, it's just the 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 race is different now. It's just yeah. a different race. Right. So it changed everything. And and at that time, then you kind of once you're starting to come to terms with it, what do you do? Do I walk away from life in terms of my career? And for a time, that was a decision. You know, do I do it? I played about with potentially with opening a, a restaurant but quite at that time unsuccessfully because I was just probably not in the right space yeah uh, and I think it it led me to be where I am today which was about founding my own company in the first instance it was about flexibility and being able to work when I needed to and not work when I needed to but really quickly it became the absolute answer I, I didn't want to waste a minute of my life Still doing anything I didn't enjoy anymore yeah. because I, I knew how precious life was. And so for me, I didn't want to do another auto enrollment for pensions as long as I lived. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't really want to spend my time doing what would be classic HR stuff anymore. And so I said, what is it I love doing? What am I passionate about? And it is about culture. It's about, in, it's about engagement. It's about developing people and getting them to come on that journey with you mm. so that's kind of where I, I I wanted to focus and it's been amazing it's been the best thing I could have done so Rick's Associates just does exactly that we help organizations move and transition through change yeah and we help them do that through their people so culture programs engagement programs uh, articulating the new future, mission, vision, and values, all that sort of great stuff. And I love it. And I, 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 it, it feeds my passion for change and for not standing still. And it, it kind of feels like it's brought me full circle to the person and to the place in terms of where I always should have been um, right. helping do that. So, yeah, that, that's what I've done for the last uh, six years now. So out of adversity, you've, you've kind of got, the the adversity actually took you to where you needed to be you know what there's it, there's a strange strange way of getting to a, a destination and it isn't always a straight line and sometimes the detours are actually fundamental in the destination yeah and i think that's what i've learned over it you know there's not so much of a linear path uh, as different ways i look at it with my boy you know he can't do everything that she says an in inverted uh, commas, a normal person can do, but somehow he manages to do exactly what he wants to do. Mm. And it, it might be slightly different. It might be a sl slightly different direction, but he is, you know, a product of his tenacity and his will and his, his hard work. And I love that. I love that sentiment. Yeah. Well, he's clearly his mother's son. That's for sure. There's a little bit of tenacity in you. I'm beginning to feel I wish I wish I was half as strong as he is. He's so brave. My eldest son as well. My eldest son is, you know, he he gets overlooked in this story quite a lot. And um, he's such a legend. He's such a legend. He has coped with it all and and managed to excel. Excelled at GCSE. Excelled at A level. Went and did a 
you know, a degree for music production and, and managed to get a first whilst all this was going on. So he's just been, you know, a spectacular source of comfort and support for me too. So yeah. I am very blessed to have my two boys. Very blessed indeed. Brilliant. No, that's that's wonderful. And I really, really appreciate you sharing that in, in such intimate detail. Massive thanks for that. So let's talk, Ricks and Associates, what yep. what type of companies do you actually uh, do you work with? Uh, hospitality companies, yep. anything from chains, pub and restaurants, small hotel groups, uh, large hotel groups, right across the piece, large restaurant groups. It, it's been a really diverse population of people we work with up until, well, still, we only work by referral. So right. we don't actively promote. We don't go out there. I didn't even have a website until about two months ago right. when everyone just shouted. And it was literally with moving to the IOH that people went, people want to know what you do. Uh, I, I'd like the, I like the anonymity of, of being a referral only business. So when I looked and took on the chair, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that next, but it literally was just for the purposes of people go, who? They had somewhere to go, <laughs> but we've... Uh, yeah, no, we've only ever worked by referral, which is great. So if anyone approaches me to work with them, I simply give them a, a contact list of people I've worked with in the past and just go ring any of them, speak to them. Yeah. It's a much easier sell. So it means we manage our workload. But that's it's always the way, isn't it? It's much better to get somebody else to, to tell other people how good you are rather than you try and do it yourself. Yeah, I, I, it's not really... I, I don't really want to go out there and say, oh, look, I'm really, I do this. And I, it's just, it's a bit... I'd rather just go, just pick up the phone. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. You know, I'm when I generally get involved, it's about change and, and change isn't always easy. Yeah. And helping people navigate through change is quite a challenge because the emotional response to change can be quite extreme. So I'm not always the most popular person, but ultimately I will help businesses get to that end goal. So yeah, and, and for me, that was the whole opportunity at the IOH I've been a member of the IOH for 10 years I was you know a fellow in 2012 so I've been part of it as an organization for many many years but never really felt emotionally connected to it wasn't really invested in it yeah and and didn't really see if I'm being honest at that time or for a long time the value I think for me, it was one of them things where you go, well, actually, it's just what you do. You know, when you've been around a long time and, and, and you're, you know, you're made a fellow, then that's what you do. It's your bit back to the industry. So I did that and I was a fellow for many years without being a very active fellow. And then a couple of years ago, 18 months ago, I had a discussion with somebody. I went to one of the fellows dinners and ended up having a bit of a debate with the my table around well I don't really do anything and I'm not really engaged and you know a few home truths were shared across the, the table and I kind of had to have a word at myself again going don't complain about something if you want change Kelly help change you know help yeah. support that change get involved don't stand on the sidelines pointing saying that's not for me so um I had some conversations and I was very lucky to be invited to join the supervisory board about a year ago, which I did. And again, you know, an active part of it, but really not driving any change. Being a supervisory board member is about helping facilitate it, but not driving that kind of strategic plan. 
but I loved working with Robin Shepherd. He's an absolute legend. No um, and he is, he's fantastic. And, yeah. and so love being part of that team. And, and when he decided to step down as chair of the hospitality Institute of hospitality, I toyed with the idea of, of, of throwing my hat in the ring. And again, same conversation takes place, which is if you really want change, if you feel change is necessary, then, you know, be the change you want to see, but drive that change too. take your place, you know, take, take the chair. So uh, I put my, my application in and, and I was really, really surprised, but absolutely delighted to be elected as uh, the new chair on the 10th of September. Yeah. No, that, it's brilliant. And it's a bit of a, a, I suppose, a success story in itself as well, because if I'm right, are you the, the first female chair? I, I believe so. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I, I believe so. So it's um, it, the interesting thing is, Phil, yesterday we had a conference call yesterday with all the regional chairs of, mm. of our committees and there was 15 people on the call. And, and yesterday somebody just commented and it made us realise there was eight women. Brilliant. The women outnumbered the men in an Institute of Hospitality call, which just we all kind of went, that's not bad, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, It was definitely not the perception I had beforehand, and it's definitely not. And, yeah, we are changing. We are looking at being more inclusive and more diverse and making sure that people feel represented. And that doesn't happen overnight. But, you know, for me, having a really clear strategic plan, engaging everybody within that plan, you know, getting devolving some of that responsibility to the regional committees to get them really bought into it. And then looking at how we can really engage across the whole piece is, is is the way to evoke this change that we need. And I think certainly because of the circumstances we find ourselves in now. Yeah. What, what, sorry, what do you mean? There's no, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing going on right now. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, it's really interesting. Some of the, the clients I work with, you know, everybody has been affected. Everybody yeah. has been affected. Absolutely. And, some have been decimated through no fault of their own. But lots of conversations I've had either with clients or, you know, with my time at the IOH as well is a lot of those conversations should have taken place beforehand. Yeah. You know, when we've been doing things like evaluating structure and we've gone, okay, does that really work? Lots of the conversation was, well, we could take out this, 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 and this. And we go, well, why have we never done that before? And it's just that almost that burning platform of change that we're just going to set fire to that kind of what's underneath us. The ground is is no longer stable. So we have to be innovative. We have to be creative. We have to be resourceful. And it makes you be really critical with what's important and, and how to protect what's really important. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's the, the, the reset button is being pressed right in front of our eyes. That's um, yeah. and you know with that it doesn't feel like it now, but comes amazing opportunity to to reset in the right way. And I actually had somebody talk about Trump in this way. Can you believe that? Um, no. Yeah, no. Bear with me. The um, it was a a chap who's a, a black fella who did a documentary and and he basically goes out and befriends Ku Klux Klan members and tries to understand why they feel the way that they feel and, and all of that. So rather than just being critical, wants to understand and then maybe try and affect their thinking. 
And he was asked a question, I think it was actually on Russell Howard's hour, a plug for that show. He was asked, what do you think of the Trump situation? And he said, Trump is like uh, somebody, you've just had a broken leg. And Trump is basically that broken leg, fracturing politics because it was, well, it was already broken and he's kind of the reset Mm -hmm. on it. And actually, I'd, I'd never viewed that way. Obviously, there's other elements to Trump that are just completely disgusting. But it's actually, there's always... Uh, a way you can look at things in a, I suppose, in a a more enlightened look. Uh, And that comment came from a guy who'd just, you know, had a life of adversity because of race. I totally, I I, I totally understand, you know, what's the phrase first? Understand then to be understood. You've got to understand the situation. But sometimes, you know, no one wants a factory reset. I, I describe what happened to my boy as a factory reset. You know, it's going right the way back to the fundamentals. But in business, what happens is it does create, you know, it it is the catalyst of change. It is the catalyst of invention. It is the catalyst for creativity and entrepreneurship and, and, uh, you know, being more, you know, dynamic in your thinking because you have to. So, you know, uh, for whatever Trump brings to the world, and I'm definitely not one to comment on that. It, it will bring change, which is always going to be an opportunity to debate and, 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 and move things forward. Yeah, and I think that the key thing on the debate then is, is that it, it's, a, it's measured and, yeah. you know, it's not shouty and not, I mean, you know, you can then look at the, the recent presidential debate, if you want to even call it that, as just an absolute shambles and and how not to debate at least you know I, I, as a mum of two two boys i've been trying to raise men for the last 25 <laughs> years uh if either of them behaved in that way I, i'd say i would have failed as a mother so it's it's quite funny the balance in in terms of you know i, I we've got to look to the this next generation coming through yeah to, to do better than us you know, I, I, I'm educated by my my eldest son, especially all the time. I'm educated by him, and, and you know, we're growing up in a world which is is more socially conscious than ever. And and we have to understand that, and we have to play our part in driving and supporting that change. So, yeah, you know, I, I love it. I, I raised my my boys to be independent thinkers and independent doers. Uh, and long may that kind of continue. Yeah, I, I think that be, being respectful of other people's opinions is also a, a massive part of debate. Yeah, you know, and I, I definitely think as a society we've lost that. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's very divisive now. It's very, you know, my opinion is the only one that matters, and you know, the rest of you can go swim. That's kind yeah. of how it feels like, and obviously, no progress can take place on, under those circumstances. Well, it's just not a level playing field, that is it? it. You know, anywhere where people feel that their voice doesn't have the same value, whether it be gender, whether it be, you know, some sort of discriminatory kind of behaviour, it's yeah. unfair. I, I, yeah. I, you know, it, it, I don't tolerate it. It makes me angry. But we have to do some proactive stuff to change it. We can't, as I say, stand on the sidelines and, and complain. I, I'm definitely an activist in terms of, of, of trying to invoke change. Yeah, clearly. And I think your point as well about making sure that the, the next generation have 
their voice heard. Um, they absolutely fundamentally need to have their seat at the table. Absolutely. You know, we've we've just appointed, I hate the phrase young person. I know. This, poor, this poor but amazing and talented and full of potential person and and. And now she has been labelled as a young person. Yeah. Which I, I'm, I'm going to fight against using. But I, for me, we have a demographic of our, our membership that I felt, we felt was underrepresented. And that was an age profile. So for me, we want to make sure that people who are deciding what the industry does, what, what the institute does, actually is representative of the whole institute. So yeah. for me, we've just got to make sure that inclusivity is really, really front and centre. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think you've definitely set your stall out on that. I was lucky enough to, to watch your kind of meet and greet webinar a couple of weeks ago. And um, it was very clear to me that there are things that need to be done, but there's a, a very clear framework that can make these things happen. And it sounds like change is kind of something that you're fairly good at. <laughs> I hope so. And I, I, for me, it feels like real momentum at the moment. You know, it, lots of time, change is uncomfortable, but I'm delighted that the response has been so supportive and I've had so many members, so many people reach out to me and gone and, you know, and I've said that I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm in it. Yeah. Right, let me, let me know what I can do. I'm here. I'm buying it. I'm in. And so this whole sentiment of I'm in has started to kind of build momentum with me. So this is our, we're going to be launching our I'm in campaign uh, very shortly for the IOH and and it doesn't mean I'm just in yeah it means I'm I'm in I'm invested yeah I'm involved well I'm in good (laughs) (laughs) I was already convinced the um but um no it's uh I think that that as I said we've we've got a wonderful opportunity not to be missed I think um and I think that the key point is collaboration there's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff and let's you know work together rather than creating lots of different people trying to do the same thing yeah i mean it's, we just have to be open honest and transparent that we're all hoping for something positive at the end of it it's times like this where where collaboration is key yeah you know we're, we're fighting a battle which is beyond us all so we've got a the strength in numbers there so no, definitely interesting time, interesting things to do, but I'm definitely up for it. So uh, I I believe in my industry. I believe hospitality is full of the most interesting, resilient, tenacious, colourful people, and they are my people. Amen to that. I was going to ask you about uh, if you have any funny stories you could share, but I feel like you you've actually given us a couple of funny stories already. But if there's any burning ones that you have. I'm all ears. I'm really, I'm, I'm trying to edit them in my mind, but anyone who's worked in hospitality for over 30 years will tell you most of them you'd never really want to be associated with again. <laughs> you know, there's, there's dumb waiter stories of, of different things coming upstairs to the, uh, the, the satellite kitchen and uh, opening the dumb waiter one day to find one of the KPs sitting in there in his underpants. <laughs> I, I'm, I wouldn't be one to share those kind of stories. No, okay? no, no, no. 
So uh, needless to say, there was a lot of sanitizing going on that night yeah. in the waiter. But no, I, I, there's a million stories. And, and to be quite honest, Phil, this is this is better than therapy. So I'll be uh, ringing you next week and we can go again if that's OK. Done. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> a burning question. This is hugely indulgent. Are you are you red or blue? Well, I live in Liverpool, so therefore I'm a blue. Oh, God. <laughs> Really? I should have asked you that at the beginning. You you don't get to pick it, Phil. Don't you understand? No, I know that. It's I know literally that. you're born and it happens. So uh, I, I, our house is, is very divisive. So we've got predominantly blue with my dad and my one of my brothers who's a red. So we, we tend to shun them and it's Derby weekend this weekend. So that they'll, you know, it will be virtual shouting this weekend, I would suggest. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a good time to be alive as a as a blue. Listen, I'm going to miss the end of season scrap to stay up. Uh, that that's our that's our Champions <laughs> League. That's our you know that, that that that's our gold standard. That last match of the season scramble. But no, it's uh, once a blue, always a blue, and you've got to be a true supporter because we don't win an awful lot. Well, I I think that might be about to change, and I'm not suggesting <laughs> that might happen this weekend. I like to believe that that Reds will still win but I, the one thing I will say is, is that I think both our teams have got class acts at the helm yeah absolutely do you want a fiver on it Phil uh, I'm not a betting man <laughs> <laughs> I actually I would have taken that bet up until the, the 7-2 that happened uh, a, a couple of weeks ago and now I just I don't know it's such a weird season <laughs> yes that's obviously that's a very hospitality driven conversation that but um but but never mind. I actually, the point I, I was going to make on Carlo Ancelotti is if you haven't read his book, Quiet Leadership, it's a belter. It's it, because he, he leads by not saying much. He lets people kind of, gives them enough rope to go hang themselves. And then when he needs to step in, he steps in. So he doesn't tell the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo how to go play the game. But if Cristiano Ronaldo is stepping out of line, then that's when he steps in. So he gives people the freedom to to be themselves. And I think that that's just a, a wonderful lesson in leadership anywhere, to be honest. I wish I was better at that than I am. I really <laughs> do. So I'm going to I'm going to pick it up and read it this weekend because, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm too involved and too takey part and probably in some cases too directive. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something I'm very conscious of and probably need to work more, be more focused on. Well, you you know things that need to be worked on, they can be worked on. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I definitely, I, I like being in the driving seat a lot more than being in the back of the bus now. So I, I'm, I, I know where I'm at my most comfortable. Yeah, well, you know, if you're in the back of the bus, then you, you've, you've got to clean it, haven't you? So <laughs> Again, in a white <laughs> denim suit, there yeah. you go. Absolutely. I did read somewhere, actually, that you, you don't enjoy being a passenger. I don't. I'm not very good at it because, you know, I am like donkey on Shrek. You know, it's like, does anybody? And he's like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me, 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 me. So uh, that's it. No, I, I'll have a go at anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm great at giving advice and really terrible at taking it. And, and right. most of the people I work with uh, you know uh, one of my famous phrases one of my famous sayings I say to most of the people I coach just because you can doesn't mean you should so yes you can do it yes you can do that yeah but let's just focus let's keep it contained 
I never take my own advice. Absolutely yeah. never. So, yeah, no, I'm a terrible uh, giver, but not receiver of advice. I think I might be the same, actually, on that. That uh, Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I am known amongst those who know me as the, the shiny new thing guy. I'm always <laughs> off trying new stuff. And all of it legal, just so that we're clear on that, <laughs> or at least to my knowledge, anyway. Um, and I, you know, I think that there, that's great and it's wonderful, and I, I probably won't ever change. But but sometimes it it puts me into situations whereby you look at your workload and go, "How did I get here?" Yeah, I, it, it it's it's the it, busy busy people do that quite a lot. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. collect it. It's, you know, I have a really simple life mantra and it's on generally everything I do and it's part of everything I am. And my husband, Gary, you know, bless him, he gets it in terms of that message all the time because I challenge it. My message is simply what happens next. So it's not what you're doing. It's not what's happened to you. It's not the kind of circumstances you find yourself in. And again, for me, it's really kind of pertinent at this moment in time. You know, we've got all this going on and just because, you know, you can and just because it's there, it doesn't mean to say it's the right thing to do. Mm. What happens next is the critical thing. So take all the information, evaluate it all and make the first step, make the right decision moving forward. What happens next is your control. We couldn't have predicted COVID. We couldn't have predicted what's happened to the hospitality industry. We couldn't have predicted it. We couldn't have stopped it. It has happened. Yeah. It continues to happen. Our control is in what happens next. Too true. Absolutely. But I think the the one thing I've picked up from had a couple of conversations with you now is that you definitely have a, a can-do attitude. There's nothing that we can't figure out. Listen, when you've got talent, and we have as an industry, when you've got resourcefulness, when you've got a, you know, a, a willingness to succeed – who's to say what 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 the limitations are yeah. i have faith i have faith yeah and don't forget you know this is the, the a great leveler right nobody's experienced this before nobody knows how to to deal with it there is no as i've, I've used the word playbook there's no playbook on this at all so we're all even if you're a robin shepherd you know who's been there seen it done pretty much everything or probably thought he had until covid came along you know that we're all learning with this we, we're all we're all finding our way yeah i mean try being a consultant in this time because people just yeah. keep bringing me up going well what is it you, what happens next kelly and i'm like i have no idea yeah you know I, I i've been really lucky in my career i've been mentored by some amazing people but but throughout my career i've had one person who's 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 transformed my thinking and been there so mr stephen carter who i still call Mr. Stephen Carter. So he introduced me to my husband. He read the passage at my wedding. He's instrumental in my life. He's like my work dad. And I still call him Mr. Stephen Carter. And he's uh, he's my sage. He's the person I go to. And uh, we laugh at the moment because neither of us can predict what comes next, what happens next. Yeah. So, you know, you, you make the best way forward with the tools that you've got. Um, and, and don't be afraid to ask for help agreed absolutely uh, great stuff okay if well if you were to have uh somebody who wanted to come into hospitality sat in front of you what would you say to them 
why not? Just do it. You're going to have an industry where it's really diverse. It's really interesting. You can travel. You can meet fantastic people. You will definitely have fun and you'll definitely have stories. It will make for a colourful life. And what there's nothing better than that, really, is there? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Superb. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with us today and sharing your story. And it's just been a real great insight into to the life of you and, and, and what happens next. It looks like the, the next years ahead will be very interesting. Indeed. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been really good to talk. You're very, very welcome. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye now. And there we have it. A quite sensational career journey so far from Kelly. We wish her well in her role as Chair at the Institute of Hospitality and can't wait to see what Kelly and her team have in store for us. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share where you can. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.